are three passages that we will read from the book of Acts, beginning with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then chapter 2, verses 40 to 42, and then lastly, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. You may turn and read there, or you may listen as you choose. Today we are unpacking Again, I remind us where we're at here. We're unpacking our new mission statement that we have adopted as a church. We've already considered that we exist to exalt and experience God together. And we also considered last week that we exist to equip and encourage God's people. And today we're considering that third part, that we exist to engage enthusiastically in God's work. And so with that, let us hear the Word of God, beginning in Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 42 This is on the day of Pentecost after Peter's sermon, as he's wrapping up his sermon, comes to its conclusion. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And now Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Lord, as we heard from that opening verse in chapter 1, verse 8, we seek the power that Jesus promised to come upon his disciples in those earliest days. We seek the power of the Holy Spirit, to move among us here in this place as we consider your word. Lord, we ask that you would bring light and clarity to what is before us, and that you would impress it upon our hearts in such a way 
that we would delight in your word and seek to conform our lives to it and ally, ally our hearts to you, Jesus, in every way. This we ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones, what are we here for? What does this church exist for? You know, there are many reasons why people go to church every Sunday or on occasion, go to some religious event. You know, some people go to feel better about themselves. Others might go to find a social community because they're lonely. And some go because they're forced by their parents still. But there is really only one reason that makes sense as to why we should be here. And it is this. Jesus of Nazareth died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He's alive. He's ruling and reigning from the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's the only reason that makes sense. Jesus went through death and entered into a new embodied existence as now the immortal king of kings. And that historic reality is the foundational cause of our existence and why we are here in this place. We are here because we believe that Jesus is enthroned in glory right now at the right hand of God the Father. We believe and declare with our hearts, long live King Jesus. That's why we are here. You know, if Jesus is currently alive, reigning from heaven, and will come back to judge the living and the dead, bringing the fullness of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, then that means we must engage in his work, align our hearts with his kingdom, and submit to his will in life. That's why we're here, to fully align ourselves with that reality, to live more in that reality and testify to that reality to the world around us. The book of Acts that we've read from this morning is all about that reality. King Jesus is still at work in this world, and he is calling all of his followers to engage themselves in his work enthusiastically, that is, by the power of God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we find, empowers Christians to serve King Jesus as his witnesses, both in word and in deed, in truth and in grace. And from that statement, we'll derive our three points this morning. First of all, that we are empowered by Jesus. Empowered by Jesus. King Jesus, loved ones, is still active and working in the world today. He sent the Holy Spirit from the Father to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He is doing that work where or through whom? The church, his followers in this world. In this time between times, between Jesus' ascension and his return, the Spirit has come on his behalf convincing people of that reality and conforming them to that reality, the reality that Jesus is the Lord and our Savior King. The Spirit, he does this work, as we've already said, primarily through his church. He empowers and employs Jesus' followers to serve him throughout the world, wherever he has placed them. 
And that is what we see, first of all, in Acts 1, verse 8. There, before Jesus left and entered into that heavenly dimension of glory with God the Father, he told his disciples that the Spirit of God would come down upon them and give them power. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. And ever since then, the Holy Spirit has empowered the church to serve King Jesus in this world. And in this way, by the Spirit, through the church, Jesus continues his work. He continues his work as the good shepherd, finding his lost sheep in the world, bringing them into his fold and nurturing them towards full eternal life. He is the good shepherd and he continues to do that work through his church by the Spirit. And in the same way, Jesus continues his work as the light of the world who came into this dark world. His light of truth is no longer restricted just to his bodily existence in the location of Jerusalem, wherever he walked about during his earthly ministry. But now the Holy Spirit unites each and every believer, follower of Jesus to him who is the light. And by that connection, we become the light of the world representing Christ's light and shining it to the world around us. He continues as the light of the world through his church by the Spirit. And in this way as well, Jesus is the life-giving vine that he talks about in John 15 that continues to flourish and blossom all around the world as the Spirit grafts people, individuals, into his church, grafting them into the life of Christ himself so that they might flourish and blossom all around the world with the fruit of the Spirit, bearing fruit for Jesus' sake. You see, Jesus is still active today in this world, expanding his kingdom in the hearts and lives of his people all around the world, not just here in this place, but here today all over the globe. By his Spirit, King Jesus is empowering his people to engage in his kingdom work. And this is what we mean by enthusiastically engage in God's work. It's interesting that the word enthusiasm or enthusiastic is derived from a Greek word, which is enthusiasmos, and it's a compound word from en and then theos. Theos is tied to theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. And so enthusiastic means to be empowered by God. And so... As we seek to engage in God's mission in the world, we seek to do that empowered by God's Spirit. We engage in God's mission in this world by God's power at work within us. And this is really good news for us. As we think about our mission and our task that is set before us, Jesus didn't just leave us with a mission to finish on our own in this world. And by our own power, no, he promised to be with us always to the end of the age and to empower us in that mission. And so as we're considering these truths, listen again to the Great Commission from Matthew 28, which many of us have heard, and listen for that reality of what Jesus is promising to us, what we sang about in the song just prior to this reading of God's word. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, he's saying there, I have all authoritative power that you need. It is in me, and I'm giving it to you. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Are we alone then in this? No. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, how is it that we have Jesus' power and presence with us in this mission of making disciples in the world? It is by the Spirit whom Jesus sent in Jesus' bodily absence. He is no longer bodily here present with us. In his bodily absence, the Spirit of God brings to us the very power and presence of Jesus. Think of this. According to the author Luke here in Acts, Jesus' power and presence is so much with us that our work in his name is actually Jesus' work. How does Jesus continue to do and teach in the world? In his church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we think of or we hear the name or the title of the book of Acts, and we often think, oh, it's saying the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But that is not properly titled. In reality, the way Luke would title it is this, the Acts of Jesus by his Spirit through his church through his disciples. And that's why, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the author Luke tells us that his first book, which is referring to the Gospel of Luke, he says, that first book I wrote about dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He began to do and teach. That word there is important, began, because Luke is telling us that this second book, this second volume, so to speak, the Acts, it deals with what Jesus continues to do. He began to do work, and now he continues to do and to teach through the Holy Spirit, empowering his followers, his church. And so, in a sense, the church's mission that we have received, it's not really ours, is it? Because the mission belongs to Jesus. It is his work, and he has called us to participate with it or with him in that work. We are called to engage enthusiastically in God's work. It's his mission, his work that he's called us to with the promise that God is empowering us in it and that he will finish the work that he has started. And that is good news for us. Now, what is the work that God is doing that we are to engage in? Well, that's our second point. He empowers us to be witnesses of the truth about Jesus. Witnesses of Jesus in truth. Jesus told his disciples there in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. My witnesses. You know, first and foremost, a witness testifies with words about some truth. In our courtrooms, as we are perhaps called to testify at a different or at some point in our life or we're called to be on jury and listen to the testimonies of others we realize that witnesses are called to give their testimony under oath with their words about what they saw what they heard about the reality that they believe they perceived and Jesus called upon his original 12 disciples to be his eyewitness or to give his eyewitness testimony to the world. He sent them out to testify with their words about what they saw with their eyes, touched with their hands, concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. He sent them out to preach that good news to the world around them. 
And that's exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts throughout it. Once the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples on the day of Pentecost, what do we see them doing? Peter stands up and he testifies. We read that in Acts chapter 2, which says, And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. He bore witness. He testified. You know, sometimes Christians talk about sharing their testimony. And by that, what do they usually mean? Well, they mean typically how Jesus has changed my life personally. And let me share that with you. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your own personal testimony. There is a time and a place to show how Jesus has saved you from sinful habits and given you life and peace and greater joy. That's something good to share with other people. But that is not the primary testimony that we are meant to give. Jesus, when he said, go be my witnesses to the end of the earth, was not saying, go tell others about your personal testimony. No, Jesus is saying, go tell people about what I did in my coming, my dying, in my rising again from the dead. Go tell them about the good news that I did that all for sinners like them to forgive and to make all things new again. Jesus is saying, go tell them about me, first and foremost, what I did in history. And this is what we find throughout the book of Acts. We find the apostles and later ordinary Christians clearly and courageously proclaiming that Jesus is the risen Lord and the only Savior and our reigning King. And this is true for us as well. This is our primary task. The primary work of the church has always been this, to clearly and courageously proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bear witness to the reality of King Jesus. Our objective, therefore, is always to point away from us and towards Jesus and what he has done for us. Our message to the city of Ontario is this, that Jesus was crucified for our forgiveness and raised up for our acceptance. We testify to the watching world around us that whoever trusts in Jesus is fully forgiven by the virtue of his blood that was shed to atone for all our sins and fully approved by the virtue of his resurrection from the dead as the Father declared with power that my son is not a criminal, did not deserve to die, did not deserve to be condemned, and rose him up from the, from the grave, from the tomb, declaring him as righteous, he did that for us. So that as we believe in him, that righteous declaration, that Jesus is righteous, is now declared over sinners like us when we believe in him. So we have forgiveness, and we have justification, full love and acceptance through Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we declare to the watching world, we are witnesses of Jesus in truth, that message of truth with our words. But not only that, we are also called to be witnesses of Jesus in our deeds, in grace. We are to be witnesses of Jesus in grace. That is our third point. You know, how much time do witnesses spend testifying in the courtroom? How much time is given to a witness? Not very much. It's a very brief time, relatively short compared to the other aspects of their life, right? Jesus doesn't want us necessarily to go about testifying on his behalf with our words 
in each and every moment of every day. God also calls us to live ordinary lives for his glory, to go work, to marry, to build homes, to have children, and to serve our neighbors in his name and for his glory, right? Now, how do we tie our ordinary work for the glory of God to our witness, bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he has done? Well, think of this in the courtroom. The testimony of a witness is only as good as the credibility of that witness. We all know that to be true. And so, if a witness is proven by evidence to be a liar, a cheat, corrupted in some way, then their words are not taken seriously. They do not have the weight of credibility. And so, too, we must live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel to which we have been called, the gospel that we preach, our lives in faithfulness, filled with grace and power, add credibility to the message that we declare to the world around us. And we see that in Acts chapter 6, which we read. There, the early church was tending already to the needs of their weakest, the most vulnerable among them. Were they doing it perfectly? No. There was a complaint that rose up. Some were getting the food distribution and others were not. They were being neglected. But they faced that problem. They dealt with that problem patiently and wisely together. And in faithfulness, they fought, they, they fought together and sought to fill in the cracks in their love and service to one another. They sought to mend the brokenness that existed by the power of God. And so, as well as they had opportunity, not only doing good and love for one another, they also showed love and good to their neighbors around them. And it was said of the early church that the Romans watched the early Christians and said, look at how they love one another and see their love for their neighbors as well. Well, that's what we see happening in the book of Acts in chapter 6. Their love, their grace, their mercy shown to one another had a big impact. And Luke tells us that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And that's a very interesting thing that Luke notes there at the end of that section. That many of the Levitical Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. Why? Why were they so impressed? Why does Luke call our attention to that? Well, it's because according to the law of Moses, it was the task of the Levitical priest in the Jewish law to tend to the vulnerable and the weak, to distribute mercy and grace to those who were in need. And so these priests were watching the early Christians, and they were seeing their great love and grace, and it added credibility to their message that they were declaring. They saw, wow, God's grace and power is truly among them, for look at how they love their own. Look at how they are showing the grace and love of God, and that adds credibility to the message that they are declaring about Jesus. And this, loved ones, must be true of us as well. Think of this. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, he is not only full of truth, he is not just a message of truth. Gospel, the Gospel of John tells us that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
What was the task of Jesus, in a sense? One of the tasks of Jesus was to reveal the Father to the world, show this world who God is. And Jesus did that. Full of grace and truth, he revealed the Father to us. And now, by the Spirit of God, it is the task of the church to reveal the Son to the world, not just in truth, but also in grace as well, full of grace and truth. It is our task to make Jesus known to the world, to bear witness about Jesus, both with our words and with our deeds, telling the world about him and in our actions and our mercy, showing that Jesus has the power to renew us and transform us. One theologian says this, if our mission is to share good news, we need to be good news people. If we preach transformation, we need to show some evidence of what transformation looks like. Therefore, if we are to be witnesses of Jesus in truth and grace, we must do so in word and in deed. And it is the power, remember, it is the power of Jesus that gives us that ability to do this work. He enables us, he empowers us to do this. Now, as we come to a close of this sermon, I want us to consider this beautiful quote from the theologian John Stott, who uh, who, who declared or gave this presentation one time about his dream, about what the church should be. And this is just one portion of it, but it beautifully describes the kind of service that Jesus calls us to in this world as his witnesses. He says this, I have a dream of a church, which is a serving church, which has seen Christ as the servant and has heard his call to be a servant too, which is delivered from self-interest, turned inside out, in giving itself selflessly to the service of others, whose members obey Christ's command to live in the world, to permeate secular society, to be the salt and light of the earth and the light of the world, whose people share the good news of Jesus simply, naturally, and enthusiastically with their friends, which diligently serves its own parish, residents, and workers, families and single people, nationals and immigrants, old folk and little children, which is alert to the changing needs of society, sensitive and flexible enough to keep adapting its program to serve more usefully, which has a global vision and is constantly challenging its young people to give their lives in service and constantly sending its people out to serve. I have a dream of a serving church. Well, loved ones, let us pray for that dream to come true for our church in this place. And we have the promise of Jesus. His authority and power is with us. He has sent his Holy Spirit to equip us for this work, to engage enthusiastically in his mission in this world, trusting again that Jesus is risen, reigning, and returning for us. So in that reality, let us align our hearts. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that, oh Father, you sent your Son into this world to save us from our sins, to give us full forgiveness by virtue of his blood and also full acceptance by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. And Lord, we thank you that not only that, but you have given us a task and a mission and you have promised to be with us. 
Oh, Jesus, you've promised to be with us to the end of the age and empower us by your Spirit to fulfill that task, not only with our words, but also in our deeds, not only in truth, but also in grace. And so we ask and pray that you would truly work among us in these ways and help us faithfully execute the mission that we find in your word that you have called us to. This we ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones, let's respond to